0: Clarity that God provided, and that's exactly what we prayed for. So we praise Him for that. Um, second thing we, we want to be praying for this week are the ministries that are going to be having fresh starts right around the corner. You saw the list of all the ministries that are going to be beginning once again in September, and we want to be careful to cover these things in prayer. Because as soon as we do things in our own strength, then we're already defeated we'll lift that up to the lord and i also want to lift up everything that happened in syria this week to the lord that god's light would just break through in that situation uh, i see that joe and Joan and irizari aren't here again today so we want to continue to be lifting them up in prayer as well so let's bow for a word of prayer Heavenly Father, first of all, we thank you for everything that communion represents. That when we were busy saying, you are dead to me, you died for us. To forgive us. To bring us peace with you. To bring us into this relationship with you. Where we can be called your children. And so I thank you that you hear our prayers as our Abba Father. I thank you for hearing our prayers for Benny Rosado's mother. And I thank you for the clarity that you brought. I pray that you would continue to lead and guide in this situation. Father, we pray for the different ministries that are about to kickstart once again. We pray for the Mosaic ministries. Lord, we pray for the women's Retreat. We pray for all the various things that we'll be doing, and we ask that Jesus Christ would be at the center of it all. We ask that you would enable us to be fruitful in ministry because apart from you, we can do nothing. But, O Lord, that your power would work mightily within us, that lives might be transformed, that people might come to you for salvation. And that you would give people strength to continue to overcome in this life. Father, we lift up the Irizaris to you and ask that your continued comfort would be upon them. I ask that you would bring to their minds promises from Scripture that would encourage their hearts. And Lord, we pray for the tragedy in Syria this week. Father, we ask... That in the midst of this that you would be seen as the solution I can't think of a political solution I can't think of a human made solution but I pray that you would be seen as the one who comforts I pray that you would be seen as the one who is making a world without pain and suffering and violence we pray that you would reduce the violence We pray that you would bring peace and we pray that those who are suffering would know your nearness and know that in Jesus Christ we can call upon you. As we turn to your word, I ask that you would help us to not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. I ask for myself that you might guide the words that I speak. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. But we ask today that you would do eternal things in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Lisa and I used to have this job where we were asked to come to the McCormick place on a Saturday, twice a year, sit in a room by ourselves, guarding people's coats, And at the end of the day, they would pay us both several hundred dollars for our time. And I know it sounds a little sketchy. I'm 98% sure it was not run by the mafia. But in Chicago, I guess you can never be completely sure. But it was legit taxable income. And since then, it no longer exists. But during that time, we really did need it. The Lord really used it to help us stay afloat. And the job itself is easy. The hardest thing about it was actually getting to the McCormick Place. I don't know if it's just me, but that has to be the most difficult place in all of Chicago to get to. And partly it's because it's deceptive. It's this huge building right on Lakeshore that has these huge letters that says McCormick Place. So you don't think you're going to miss it. And so... The first time that we decided to go to this really important thing, I thought we wouldn't miss it. I didn't even print out directions. So lo and behold, we're on Lakeshore Drive. Boom! It's right there on the left. And there's no way to get there. So we pass by. We go on 55. We turn around. We miss our exit. We pass by it again. So we turn around. And then we go and we pass by it a third time. And we really wanted to be there. We needed it bad. So we became discouraged. It was so close, but so far away. Honestly, do you ever feel like that in your spiritual journey? Like you want something so badly... And you know that you need it, but you have no idea how to get there. And it feels like you're just driving by it, but never quite attaining it. Do you read the Bible? And if you're honest, part of you ends up discouraged because you want what it's describing so badly. But you don't know how to get there. And your motives are in the right place. It's, it's not about you. It's about God. You read Ephesians 5 and the desire of your heart is to be a selfless spouse. But how? You sincerely want to be a godly mother or a godly father. But how? You really want to be a witness at school, at work, at home. But how? You want to be more prayerful. You want to be more joyful. You want to be more thankful. It's right there. But how? How do you get there? And so at times we feel stuck. So, what's the problem? Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23 tells us that the problem is not our total lack of inability, the solution is our total lack of inability. Our greatest need in life is to embrace our constant need for Christ. Our spiritual resources are bankrupt without Christ. When we depend on Him, our faith is given the resources that it needs to flourish. And don't get me wrong, it's not like any of us will ever completely arrive in any area of our faith. But when we depend on His resources and not on our own, we are given the ability... To flourish, to keep growing. There is a n- never a day when we can afford not to depend on Christ. That's the way out, that's the way forward. The message of our passage today is that when we depend on Christ, our faith is able to thrive. So if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn with me to Philippians 4. Verses 10 through 23. In these verses, Paul is wrapping up the letter with a final note of thanks. Remember that Roman prisons didn't provide anything for their prisoners. They didn't provide a single basic need. And so the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus 800 miles to make sure that Paul's needs were met. So Paul is now sending back Epaphroditus with this letter in hand, and he wants the last major thing for the Philippians to hear, to be thank you. But Paul is also constantly aware that he leads by example. Our passage starts in verse 10. In verse 9, Paul has just got done saying, put into practice the things that you have seen In me. So this passage is not only a thank you note, it's also an invitation to follow the pattern of Paul's lifestyle. When he describes the way he lives right here, it's supposed to call us into that same way of living. And the pattern that we see in these verses consists of a deep dependence on Jesus Christ. Philippians 4 verses 10 through 23 focuses on three aspects of our faith. That will result from our deepening dependence on Christ. The first is found in verses 10 through 13. Let's read. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This section teaches us that when we depend on Christ, we are able to learn true contentment. Paul begins in verse 10 by saying, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul could not contain his joy at the sight of Epaphroditus carrying these gifts. And I know I've shared this before, but I'll testify again to God's goodness. I can relate to this. Last year at this time, Lisa and I had a unique experience where all these unexpected expenses came at once and they came at the wrong time. So we were at nothing, but then a letter in the mail came at the right time. That day Lisa was at work and it started to hit me that we weren't going to make ends meet. So I, in just an act of faith from God, I just sincerely lifted it up to Him. So you can imagine how I felt an hour later when I opened the mail. And there was just enough to keep us afloat. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. But then Paul moves on in verse 11 to clarify something important. He immediately backs up because he doesn't want to give the wrong idea. Paul doesn't want them or us to think for a second that his joy is based on the fact that his circumstances have been improved when Paul says that he's not in need he's not denying the fact that he has basic human needs he is shackled in a Roman prison but he is saying that his joy does not ultimately come from meeting these basic human needs something means more to Paul than life itself his joy was not tied to circumstances so that when they went up He went up, and when they went down, He went down. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The word content in the the original language is literally self-sufficient. It's interesting for Paul to say this. The word sufficient means to have enough. And so self-sufficient would mean I have enough. And so at this point, all the philosophers of Paul's day would have broken to applause and said, yes, Paul, that's right. You don't need help from anybody. You can do it. You just dig deep. You just stick your mind to it. It's all in you. You have the capacity to get through this. Does that sound familiar? But it's perplexing coming from Paul. How can he say, whatever situation comes my way, I have learned that I have enough? It doesn't sound right. So Paul leaves us in suspense as he continues to elaborate. He can face all of life's ups and downs. He can face any and every circumstance because he has learned the secret. But he does, still doesn't say what. He knows the secret to being okay no matter what, no matter if he's well-fed, hungry, well-resourced, or lacking supplies. So what is the secret? The secret is that Paul's self-sufficiency has nothing to do with himself and everything to do with the one who strengthens him, Jesus Christ. Paul's self-sufficiency is actually Christ's sufficiency. Self-sufficiency says, My resources are enough to get me through whatever comes my way. Christ's sufficiency says, His resources are enough to get me through whatever comes my way. If I have Christ, I have enough. Paul can say with confidence, I have enough. Because what he has is a relationship with Christ. If we have Christ, we have enough. And that is the definition of contentment. Contentment is the mindset of already having enough. Contentment is the mindset of already having enough. And so this is the way that Paul knew how to be brought low. Because even if he lost everything, he still had Christ, so he still had enough. In war, battles are often won by cutting off the other other side's supply line. Paul knows that in the battle of life, nothing will ever be able to cut off his supply line. It will always be available to him because Christ will always be available to him. Christ will always be there to supply him with what he needs to get through no matter what he faces. Hebrews 13.5 says that this is the key to contentment. Knowing that God will always be there to provide for us. God speaks these words to all those who trust in Christ. It says, I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what we lose, we will never lose the supply line. He can still provide us with what we need to get through. And in fact, in the original language, Hebrews 13.5 has this triple negative. So the sense is, God is saying, I will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. There is certainty and security that comes from knowing that no matter what we face, we do not face it alone. I love how Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, O Lord, are with me. We do not face this valley alone. We do not face our fears alone. There is contentment in our hearts when we can look down the line and know for certain that no matter what we face, we face it together with the mighty and merciful God of the universe who loves us as His own. Romans 8 verses 35 through 39 sums it up well. I'll read it to you. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can have a steady contentment deep in our hearts. Even when the waves are bubbling up on the surface, we can have this undercurrent of stillness because we know that no whatever comes our way nothing nothing will separate us from the love of Christ this is how we can handle being brought low we do not handle it alone this is also the way that Paul knew how to abound abounding means doing well it means being well supplied Paul could handle this because he knew his contentment was in Christ alone and not in riches. The problem with looking to riches for contentment is that they will never truly be enough. And so we end up serving the illusion that if we just get that much more then we'll be okay and then if we just get that much more then we'll be okay but the truth is that money can never fix our problems just ask anyone who's won the lottery it's never enough and constant pursuit ends up drawing us away from from god the Bible is clear that riches are a severe danger. They can lead us to spiritual ru- ruin. Jesus says, You cannot serve God money. Those who know how to abound are those who do not need more than Christ in order to be content. And it applies to more than just riches. These are the people who can say, I already have Christ, so I have enough to get by. I don't depend on wealth in order to get by. I don't depend on success in order to be content. I don't depend on pleasing others, in order to be content. I don't depend on weekends, in order to be content. Those who already know Christ is enough are free from scrambling for more and more. Because you already have what you're looking for. It reminds me of my sister-in-law and I texted her last night just to make sure I could share this. She is outspoken that the only reason she goes to professional baseball games with my brother is for the hot dogs. That is why she's there. And I can't really blame her because they're Brewers fans. So that's why she's there. And so as long as she has a hot dog, she's okay. And so while my brother is up and down with the score of the game... It doesn't matter to her. She's okay. She got what she came to get. And I, for one, am tired of going up and down with the score of life. When I'm winning in life, cheering. When I'm losing in life, moping. I'm tired of it. I want to be there and just know I've already got what I came to get. I've already found what I'm looking for there's a quiet contentment deep in our hearts when we know we already have what we're looking for we already have the very best life has to offer we already have the one thing we can't live without so the rest is just icing on the cake are you tired of it of going up When circumstances go up and down, when circumstances go down, when your kids are doing well, you're doing well. When school is going well, you're doing well. When relationships are going well, you're doing well. When a job is going well, you're doing well. But when they're not, you're not. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary. And heavy laden. And I will give you rest. He is speaking to people who were basing their contentment in life on, on the basis of the law. And so when they felt like they were fulfilling the law, great. But when their failures were right in their face, then everything collapsed. And so Jesus says, let me fulfill it for you. Let me be enough, because he is enough. Philippians 4.13 is one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. But I think when we take it out of context, we're often settling for less. This verse is plastered on sports jerseys from Christian schools all over the country. And it means, I can win the big game by the power of Christ. And it comes to be a slogan for how Christ can help us get our way. And then when we don't get our way, we feel like this verse has betrayed us. But when we don't get our way, that's when it should speak to us the most. In the context of Philippians 4.13, In the context, Philippians 4.13 is a potent promise that Christ has given us the ability to face any circumstance in life, even loss. It means we can face winning without it, working against us spiritually. We can face the losses of life knowing that God will sustain us. He will provide us with what we need to get through it. This verse doesn't promise to bring us out of circumstances. And I think that's my tendency all too often. I get sick or something and I say, God, remove this from me. And sometimes he's gracious to do it. But I'm telling you, this verse promises not to bring us out of circumstances necessarily, but to get us through them. And I think that's the main way we learn contentment. Isn't it encouraging that Paul says he, the Apostle Paul, had to learn contentment? We learn it by experiencing it for ourselves. Paul did. Seven years before he wrote Philippians, he wrote 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he wrote about a time when he prayed for God to remove a situation in his life. But instead of removing the situation, God removed its power over him. Christ said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, Persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We learn contentment when we find that the grace of Christ is sufficient for us. He's enough. Isaiah 40 29 through 31 puts it beautifully. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But... They who wait up for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. I don't know what circumstances you're facing today. I can't even imagine what you might be going through. But the best thing I can tell you is to depend on Christ. His grace is sufficient for you. Wait upon the Lord. When we do, we will learn more and more and more true contentment. The second aspect of our faith that results from our dependence on Christ is found in verses 14 through 20. Let's read. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. full payment, and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In this section... The example of the Philippian church teaches us that when we depend on Christ, we are able to love giving generously. So several times in his writings, Paul holds up the Philippians as the example of how to excel in giving. So they serve as an example for us as well. So how can we tell that they loved giving? Two reasons. The first is that when you love something... You don't just do the minimum. When Santia makes flan, you better believe I'm not saying, I'll just have this teeny tiny little slice if you don't mind. No, I, I am wanting to get the maximum I possibly can without offending anybody else in the office. When you love somebody, when you love something, you don't want just the minimum of it. I think the most striking example of this with the Philippians giving is in 2 Corinthians 8.2. There, Paul says that in their severe affliction, in their extreme poverty, they were overflowing with a wealth of generosity. If they ever had an excuse not to give, this would have been it. But they didn't even give the minimum. They overflowed with generosity. And it's a sign that they just loved giving. And we also see it in verse 18 when Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. They did not give the least amount possible. The second way we can see their love for giving is in their eagerness. When you love to do something, you don't drag your feet to do it. When you, when you have a kid who loves going to Disneyland, and you tell them we're going, they're not saying do we have to? No, they're jumping on it. When you love to do something, you seize the opportunity. Paul says in verse fifteen, from the very beginning, the Philippians were seeking to partner with Paul in giving. And it's striking because Paul was not in Philippi for long. And immediately after he went to Philippi, he took a straight route to Thessalonica. And then he was only in Thessalonica, it seems like, for about two weeks. But this text says that in that short amount of time, the Philippians had trapped Paul down and found a way to give to him, not once but twice. It's an eagerness. 2 Corinthians 8.4 again is talking about the Philippians and it says they begged us earnestly for the favor of giving. Wow. I, when I raised support to serve here at Good News, I was blown away by several people who I would call and they would say, I'm so glad that you called. I was asking God to give me someone that I could give money to. One, I was blown away by one couple. And they said, they're already supporting 14 missionaries. And they would love to have me as the 15th. There is an eagerness there. The Philippians had this same Real love for giving generously. And there's a lot of good reasons to give. But I can't find a more compelling reason to give than verse 18. It is an act of worship that pleases God. It delights God when we love to give. And I think for most of us, We don't just wake up one day and instantly love giving our money away. So how do we get there? How can God do that work in our hearts? It starts with dependence on Christ. Because when you see money as your lifeline, you will hold on to it for dear life. But when you see that you have a whole different lifeline, you are free to let go and start giving. And over time, loving to experience that freedom of not being captivated by riches and just wanting to please the Lord. When we depend on Christ... We are able to give generously. The last aspect that will flourish in our faith is found in the last three verses of this book, verses 21 through 23. Let's read. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This section teaches us that when we depend on Christ, we are able to live out this letter. You see, these three tiny little verses are a subtle summary of the big themes of the whole book of Philippians. Philippians is about two primary themes. Unity and the spread of the gospel. And so notice, and this is the only time that Paul ever says this in one of his writings. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So the implied message is, there is no one who is ignored. There is no one who is a second class citizen. Everyone is to be treated with equal honor. Last week, we heard about Euodia and Syntyche and the conflict that they had. So you can imagine them hearing Paul say, greet every saint. If you're Euodia, you're thinking that means greet Syntyche. The other major theme is about the spread of the gospel. So notice that Paul says, oh by the way, the saints that are in Caesar's household greet you. And this is to be an encouragement to the Philippians because Rome was the opposition and Paul is telling them in the face of the opposition, you can still get the gospel out if you don't stand down and the opposition will be able to see that there is something unique in you and come to Christ. The saints in Caesar's household send you greetings. It is possible to extend the gospel in the face of so much set against you so this entire book has has given us some pretty deep challenges it's been about putting christ above everything and that's what enables us to spread the gospel and that's what enables us to be unified it's about putting christ before ourselves our petty interests it's about putting christ before our money it's about putting christ before our comfort And when we try to conjure up the energy in ourselves to do this, we will fail. And so the last thing I want to leave us with is that the secret to doing this lies in the final verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. If we want to live out this letter, there is nothing better we can do than come to God and say help depend on His grace and watch how He causes our faith to flourish. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do need Your grace. We cannot grow in our faith on our own. We cannot reach these different things that You have called us to. I pray that You would be working in our hearts even now. Calling us forward. Showing us ways in which we are to grow. And I pray for us to depend on Your grace. I pray that no matter what circumstance we're facing, we would depend on You to get through it. And I pray that because You are able to provide us with everything that we need, that all the glory and honor would go to you forever and ever. Amen.